Episode 9 Evening settled and the growing gloom put an end to their card game, which had been growing stale anyway. So, what now? Martin asked. Candles? Not just yet, Chris said. Hold on a sec. He left and soon returned with two battery-operated lanterns. I use these on my fishing trips. Sorry, Clive. Use them sparingly, but I do have a dozen spare batteries, so we should be all right. Good chap, exclaimed Bruce. I thought we'd have to spot over candles like in ancient times. Actually, I don't even have any candles. I do, Alfred said. But it will be good to keep them and my matches in reserve. Course you do, Bruce said. You're prepared for everything. Any plans for now, then? Feel free to chip in any time, Siri. Plans? I'm going to read, Alfred said. Provided that Dorian has vacated my library. Unless he's found your candles, Clive pointed out. He had. They entered flat four to see a faint glow coming from the direction of the library. Dorian was still in position, a candle next to the chessboard on the table. It looked as though he had not moved in the last six hours, and that the candle had materialised out of nowhere as the provisions of a benevolent universe for one who aligned himself to its will. Dorian's concentration was, if anything, even more intense than it had been six or nine hours previously. The two figures in the painting were complete, and the atmosphere of tension of the battle of mind versus mind was even more heightened. Dorian had taken the artistic liberty of making the books look like they had all been printed in the 19th century or earlier. He seemed to have intuited not only that he would finish his painting by candlelight, but also the effect of the light and shadow on the objects in the painting. The table and armchairs had likewise been completed, and Dorian was engaged in painting the candle and the lines of shadow it threw, prior to methodically completing the library. The five observers were impressed beyond measure, and did not speak even in whispers, so as not to disturb the master. Alfred took his unbent candles from one of the top shelves so as to save them from Dorian, and they dispersed, mostly to read and to mourn. Chris, Clive, and especially Bruce, the PS6, Martin online mass, and, together with Alfred, the black-and-white film from the 50s they had planned to watch that evening. Dorian painted until almost midnight, and completed his painting shortly before his candle burnt out. Finally he spoke. It is finished. He then stretched himself out on the floor beside his canvas and fell asleep. That was how Alfred found them the following morning, master and masterpiece. 
he shook his head in mingled disapproval of the former and admiration of the latter, and let Dorian sleep and thereby add another feat to his impressive collection. Over twenty-four hours spent in Alfred's library, without food or water, and almost without speaking. It was Monday and a workday for all of them, even for those whose schedule had been rendered flexible by the online working revolution that has swept the globe in the wake of COVID-19. But there was no work for them to do, except for Chris, who woke at six, prayed, and washed at the sink with some of the water from the bath, since the water had stopped running sometime during the night. Thank you, Alfred, he thought. He then went to his shop and opened up at seven, taking his cricket bat just in case. He was not sure whether the new restriction, announced to take effect on Monday, today, would actually still do so. But his was considered an essential business, so he was allowed to be out in any case. It quickly became apparent that much of the town was under the same confusion, especially in the morning. Some of Chris's customers were not sure whether they were allowed to be there, and they crept in furtively in their masks. There was a small rush at opening hours, but word had gone round of what had happened yesterday, and no one attempted to steal any food. A few worried shoppers did try to clear the shelves, but Chris gently told them to put most of the items back. When one man, with a straggly beard, a worn leather jacket, and frantic eyes, started to argue back, Chris simply put his cricket bat on the counter. That shut straggly beard up. But mostly Chris prevailed through empathy and by building on his relationship with his customers. I quite understand, Mrs Richards, he would say, for instance. If I had a family to feed, I would probably do the same thing too. But I can't let a few people take everything. I need to make sure that there's something for everyone. A policeman came by a few times to make sure that things were not getting out of hand. Keeping order at the food shops was probably the most important thing right now. Looting or a rush for food could be what caused the town's uneasiness to spill over into panic and thence into chaos. Besides, it was vital for everyone to have enough food and other supplies. A few hoarders could really mess things up for everyone. Chris had things under control though, and after the initial whiff of panic that threatened to sweep all before it and empty the shop, things calmed down and resumed something like normalcy. Nevertheless, once it became clear that police would not, or perhaps a fear of unrest could not prevent people from coming and going as they pleased, the trickle of anxious and wary customers became a steady flow, and by the evening empty shelves marked the spots where the tins, dried goods and other non-perishables had been. Around nine o'clock, the eerily foresightful Alfred and the hard-nosed Bruce came by and asked to borrow some money, as much as Chris would be willing to part with. 
What on earth for? Look around you, Chris. There's no internet, no power. You would not even have been able to open the till this morning if Emily hadn't done so yesterday just before the CME. We need to plan for the eventuality that we won't be able to access our bank accounts and that money will become worthless. We must spend it while we can. Give me all your money and I'll buy supplies. I'll pay you back if things return to normal. If. Chris did not like the sound of that if. But he could not fault Alfred's foresight and gave him a big pile of money. Good idea, Alfred. There's something you should know about my supplies at the shop, though. Later, later. Alfred hastily cut him off and looked around. Was anyone listening? They were not. Whatever it is, don't tell your customers anything and do not restock the shelves. We'll talk about it in the evening. He turned and vanished with Bruce and the takings from that morning's panic buying. When Chris closed up shop that evening, he put up a sign that said he would maintain normal opening hours until either his supply ran out or fresh stock arrived. He expected that this would ensure that his shop would be cleared out tomorrow and afterwards left in peace. It was probably best to sell everything in an orderly fashion and get paid for it, rather than try to hang on to his goods and risk looting later on. For most of the others, this day was much like the previous one, long, monotonous, and devoid of that spark of life that only instant access to technology can deliver. Except worse. The novelty value of the absence of civilization, as most of them thought of the world of electricity, was wearing thin. Siri, the source of all answers, or any of her equivalents, were nowhere to be found. The prospect of having to go through yesterday's tedium of occupying themselves in their flat without the internet or the TV or the PS6, the loss of which was still raw, appalled them. Five hands reached out of bed for their phones and groped around fruitlessly on the bedside table with its infuriating smooth emptiness. Five minds were jolted out of the fogginess of half-sleep to recall that today there would be no phones, all day. Five voices groaned, on a scale from Alfred's low exclamation of mild annoyance, through to Clive's heart-rending moan. The sixth hand belonged to Dorian. It explored the unfamiliar terrain and before the mind that should have been directing it could wake up enough to tell it why it was feeling the rough softness of the carpet, instead of the smooth hardness of the bedside table, it hit a firm object. The easel collapsed onto the edge of the light table, causing it to jolt the chessboard up into the air and send the pieces flying in a wide parabola. Dorian woke to a thunderclap and a rain of chess pieces. He sat bolt upright, alert. The fruits of yesterday's monumental labour had come crashing down. He looked at the painting of the two intense opponents, 
askew on the floor with a few chess pieces on top. It was time to move on. He had fasted all day yesterday and expended all his energy and felt cleansed and invigorated and ravenously hungry. He stretched with the immense pleasure that follows a good night's sleep and by good, hard, honest labour and stood up just as Martin came rushing in, followed by Clive. What on earth happened? Dorian, what have you done? It is accomplished. Dorian stepped past them. Time for some breakfast. Dorian, it's two in the afternoon, Martin said. All right, lunch then. You lucky chap. You missed half the day. It's been so boring, Clive said. Boring? There's always so much to do. First for some food. I need to recharge my body. I haven't taken anything in almost two days. Martin stopped him just in time from stepping into the bathtub and ruining their water supply and Clive intervened before he took a pull from a bottle of tepid and most likely spoiled soy milk from the fridge. He opened the cupboard instead, and with one arm swept the shelf in the vague direction of his other arm. Most of the tins clattered onto the counter and thence to the floor. He plonked his armful on the table and began to hunt for a tin opener. Easy there, Dorian. We need to watch our supplies now. Stop worrying. The universe will provide if we trust it. Besides, it's only been one day. I'm sure everything will be fixed soon. Not to mention that you've been eating all yesterday and today. I'll just have one tin for each meal I've missed. He counted them off on the tins laid out on the table. Breakfast, lunch, supper, breakfast, lunch. That's five. He pushed two of his seven tins aside. You're going to eat five tins? That's insane. Clive said. Our food's never going to last like that. Martin said. I haven't eaten for almost two days and I have completed a worthy task. I must restore my body. He picked up the tin opener and moved in like a surgeon about to start in with his scalpel. Martin and Clive hit on two equally effective ways to restrain him and assaulted him from two fronts at once. Dorian, you never eat breakfast. That takes you down from five tins to three, Martin pointed out. You yourself never tire of telling us that all that matters is spirit and that some holy men go weeks without eating. Clive sallied. Dorian was taken aback, and he paused, tin opener in one hand at the ready. I haven't been able to reach their level of detachment from the body. My spirit is still weak. But shouldn't you strive for dominance of the spirit over the demands of your body all the more then? Clive saw his opponent weakening and pressed home his attack. Okay, three tins then. That would be normal, 
because you've only missed three meals, not five, since you don't eat breakfast. But if you want to detach from your body, you should eat less. Think of it as continuing the spiritual labour of yesterday. The argument was unanswerable. They agreed on two tins. Martin and Clive put away the others before Dorian could weaken and then sat down with him while he ate. He finished his first tin and turned towards the two listless men. So, what have I missed? You look so... so wilted. It's been so boring, Clive said. Yesterday was already quite bad, but now there's nothing to do. No thanks to you, Siri. Chris is working. Alfred and Bruce went out for supplies. We've been reading and playing cards. Martin even taught me some chess moves, you know, on the other board. I never knew time could pass so slowly. You did miss one thing, though, Martin said. The lights in the sky last night were out of this world. Alfred said it's auroras due to the solar storm. Ooh, what a pity. Then, you're pathetic. There's always plenty to do. After I finish eating, I'm going to meditate and then have a go at my drums before Alfred comes back and stops me. I could teach you if you like. All right, that could be fun, Clive said. We knew you'd come up with something, Martin said. <laughs>